0: On the 22nd of September, more than 44,000 people jumped online to GeoNet to register feeling an earthquake. A strong 5.8 magnitude quake occurred about 30 kilometres northeast of the French Pass and was felt in the upper south and lower north islands. A look at the GeoNet, weak and above category shows that there have been a handful of light and moderate South Island quakes in the past week, as well as plenty of weak ones. On the show now we have seismologist Professor Mark Stirling, Chair of the Earthquake Science Group for the Otago Earthquake Science, to chat about these quakes and their implications, as well as how we can prepare for future ones. Kia ora, Mark. Good morning. So the initial question is, what can people be doing to prepare for these earthquakes that are striking around the South Island?
1: Well, they're relatively small to moderate-sized earthquakes, in the magnitude 3s to the biggest one being the five offshore French Pass. So they're not generally going to be uh, earthquakes that are damaging and um, of concern to people. So um, it re- it's really uh, a case of um, you know people being aware of, of of the earthquakes and the fact that we live on the um, plate boundary. We live on a big plate boundary between the Pacific and the Australian plate and so we should expect to see um, uh, you know quite a lot of um, small to moderate sized earthquakes over the course of the year.
0: Are the earthquakes in Aotearoa increasing in frequency recently?
1: Uh, There's lots and lots of sort of variation in in, um, the number of earthquakes uh, through time and it's completely natural. Um, it, it's not a sort of a constant process. I mean, the, the plate boundary is, is um, you know, sort of for our lifespan and um, for, you know, thousands and thousands of years, it's pretty much a constant feature. But the production of earthquakes along it is something that just varies through time. And, and so um, if you notice at times there's an increased rate of earthquakes, it's just a natural fluctuation. It doesn't mean that earthquakes are increasing and we're seeing some sort of long-term change through time.
0: So you speak quite comfortably and confidently about this and it appears that you, you don't think that there's perhaps much to worry about. But is there a way to detect these earthquakes before they occur, regardless of size?
1: Uh, not really, no. I mean, you do get areas where you get swarms and and foreshocks, and sometimes those lead to bigger events. But um, we we don't currently have anything that's really systematic in terms of saying, okay, based on what's going on here, we we are certain that we're going to have something bigger or or more damaging. You know, we we we. Understand that you know in some cases you have this sort of swarm and foreshock activity, and we do take notice when some of those um, swarms and foreshocks happen near some of our major uh, fault features that we know are um, sort of um, we know ha- have long-term big earthquakes from our geologic records, such as the Alpine Fault if the use we often see well you know once maybe twice a year we'll see some earthquake around magnitude high fours low fives at the south end of the alpine fault near where it join it it intersects with the fiordland um uh, part of the plate boundary and when we see that we think okay is this a foreshock for a next alpine fault earthquake and um Generally, over the last 20 years of seeing those anyway, I, I, it's been a, a false alarm. So, you know, the way the science is at the moment, it's kind of, um, uh, yes, there's, there's examples around the world where these earthquakes have preceded major events, but it's not a one-to-one relationship. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a long answer to your question, sorry.
0: No, absolutely. And you've mentioned that we've seen a number of those slightly larger magnitude earthquakes down towards the south end of the Alpine Fault Line over the past however many years. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that this earthquake, this recent 5.8 magnitude one, occurred up the north end of the Alpine Fault Line. Is that likely to have any implication? Is the Alpine Fault Line perhaps weaker and more prone to rupture at the top?
1: No, well, that that earthquake... Uh, was that offshore from French Pass, the magnitude five one? I think you're talking about. So that's well north of the fault by over a hundred kilometres, and so um, over that sort of distance, the the um, you know the changes to the stress field and and the, and the um, strain around the, the Alpine Fault would be um, absolutely negligible. Um, it's not like an earthquake happening sort of within. Ten kilometres of the fault that you might think, oh, okay, there's something perhaps brewing there. Um, it, it was it was out in the, as far as I know, it was out in the in the sea between Taranaki and the Marlborough Sounds. So that's an area where you you have um, extensional uh, faults, faults that are pulling the crust apart in that area. So it's an entirely different process.
0: Okay. and... Oh,
1: actually, no. Sorry. Um, it was deep. It was about 50 kilometres. I just correct myself here. So it was okay. actually in the downgoing plate of the subduction zone, which dives down where the Pacific plate dives down under the Australian plate, uh, and at that, you know, it sort of um, it starts diving down east of the east coast of the North Island and and northern South Island. But by the time it's underneath. Um, that area of, uh, between Taranaki and the Marlborough Sounds, it's down deep at about 50 k's, which is where the earthquake happened. So so that's that process of that plate diving down and getting broken up and melted into the mantle.
0: So it sounds like we don't necessarily have a lot to worry about in terms of this quake being indicative of any, any that might be set off as a direct consequence in the future, but these sorts of events can be quite... Um, sobering reminders of how fragile the earth especially belief Aotearoa actually is are there people who may be more at risk of serious harm for these future stronger earthquakes for example those who live near cliffs or in brick or stone houses
1: Yeah yeah, that's that's absolutely um, true that anywhere in the country um, people living in unreinforced brick buildings are more prone to um, experience damage and, and harm than people that are in more more strongly built flexible uh, building structures. Now, um, a bit out of my field but into the engineering realm but it doesn't take much to sort of say that a, you know, a wooden or metal framed building with flexible cladding is going to withstand higher levels of ground shaking than an unreinforced masonry building. And so, um, I mean, the the um, other thing is that the, the hazard around the country, the the basically the past, present, and future production of of earthquakes through the country, is highest at the plate boundaries, and it decreases to the south, east, and the northwest. So when you're in Northland, your likelihood of experiencing damaging shaking is a lot lower than if you're in Wellington or Blenheim um, those kaikara as you as you saw some years ago um, you know there's there's a gradient of hazard and so you're in an unreinforced masonry building in in Wellington you're probably um, a bit more at risk than if you're in an unreinforced masonry building up in in Whangarei or somewhere like that um, so, so yeah, there's, there's that at play as well, and there's also the, the aspect that we have a lot of our um, built-up areas at coastal areas and in valleys where we have they're built on soft ground because it's easy to build and you know in flat areas not so expensive with foundations, but you're often built on very soft materials which uh, will amplify the ground shaking. You know, the ground shakes more strongly on soft ground than on hard ground. So, so there's there's um, if you're in a unreinforced masonry building, say even up in Auckland, and you got some distant, you know, earthquake on the subduction zone to the, you know, in the east coast area, you might experience some damage even over that distance um, because of the ground conditions. That's another thing. So there's a lot of variables that play there.
0: Absolutely. So just as a brief recap, firstly, how worried do we actually need to be about the earthquakes we're seeing? And then, obviously, a lot of students down in Dunedin are living in these older flats that are possibly stone and brick houses and mm-hmm. are relatively close to the Alpine Fault compared to other locations in New Zealand. What can students in Otago be doing to create a safety plan uh, just, just in preparation for the possibility that that fault line might go sometime in the next few years?
1: Yeah, well... Um I mean, I, th- I something I always say in the um, to the media and and in, in things like this um, is that the you know an Alpine fault earthquake or a Fiordland subduction zone earthquake is is unlikely to be seriously damaging in in Dunedin, except maybe in, in possibly in areas where you've got really soft ground, like in South Dunedin or the reclaimed land, um, you know, to the direct south of the stadium area um, but um, it's really, it's 200 kilometres away the ground shaking, the energy decreases as as it goes with distance so you're not going to experience strong shaking from that, it's more the, the local faults that are of concern and there's a lot of them around in, in eastern central Otago including the Akatori Fault which is just you 10-15 know, kilometres south of us, it's Otago's most geologically active fault those are the ones that are going to produce the strong shaking because they're a lot closer I think with you know with students have limited budgets you can't afford to live in the nice modern flats all the time um that that are that are more earthquake resilient uh so so the next best thing to do is to be aware of the Hazard that we do live in the shaky Isles, there's no such thing as being in a completely a seismic area in New Zealand um, we're a plate we're only above the sea because of the plate boundary and the plate boundary movement happens by earthquakes. So it's that awareness and saying to you, your flatmates, what if a really good thought experiment is to say out loud, what would you do if there was a major earthquake? magnitude seven you know close by at 20 past four in the afternoon uh, tomorrow and what would you do and so that that would be having a having a plan to um, you know immediately if you're stuck in if you're inside the building you basically get under a table um, you you protect yourself but you also um, have a plan like you know if you've got Friends, loved ones. How do you get in touch with them? Are they aware of the hazard to the same extent you are? And you have that plan to connect in that time, so that you know you can you can comfort each other and stuff. And also, uh, it it's a very easy thing to do to um, go to the warehouse or something like that, get some big old old water containers, and have some earthquake water in the house, and maybe some. Some cans of, of food that'll last a long time, because I mean they say you know you need to have water for a couple of days after a major earthquake, but realistically it's more like um, you know a couple of weeks to 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 before you you're going to be able to really rely on um, any sort of water supply. Um, and the last thing is I think is also to the there are. Occasionally, earthquake drills at a national scale, and they're called the shakeouts. It's something that originally came from the US and is is practiced quite a lot of, in quite a lot of places around the world. And it's where there's this sort of government issued at ten in the morning um, on such and such a date. You've got to pretend that there's a major earthquake in your area. What do you do? And often organisations will take that and say and and practice it and go through that at an at um, uh, organisational level and I've been trying to encourage Otago University to take part in it um, we you know last year um, Otago University sort of said oh well, we'll just let people do it individually and I said no no we've really got to coordinate it and have take it take it as something really important um, that the university runs at a university level, and I think if we did that, that would be quite a lot of help for the um, students, rather than relying on them to do things on their own.
0: Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. i have spend a lot, on, lot of time
1: on that, sorry, but it's quite an important um, thing to get across.
0: No, absolutely, all very good points. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, no problem. That was the Radio 191 FM podcast! You can find more of them at iwantoku.exe It's last podcast!